I invite you to turn in your Bibles tonight to 1 Kings chapter 15, beginning at verse 25 this evening, reading through chapter 16, verse 7. While you're turning in your Bibles, just a few words uh, reminding us where we are. You remember the the wonderful uh, chapters, the high point in Israel's history, David's uh, reign, and then his son Solomon, and the way in which the Lord bestowed his rich blessings upon the reign of Solomon until at the end of Solomon's reign, you remember that he fell into idolatry and uh, the Lord uh, purposed to take a part of the kingdom away from his son Rehoboam and uh, that was done and uh, the northern kingdom was uh, divided from the southern. I asked Carter if he'd put up a, a map for me just to illustrate this division between the north and south. Can you enlarge it any, Carter? I don't know. But uh, there's the line. Here's Judah. Here's, here's the Philistines. Here's Jerusalem. And uh, maybe you could... So we can see the north, yeah, and here's the northern kingdom of Israel and the southern kingdom of Judah. And uh, Shechem is where Rehoboam went to uh, be crowned as uh, king. Uh, and uh, there was the confrontation uh, between the people of the northern kingdom and Rehoboam. And then uh, the northern kingdom, as it were, secedes, secedes from the uh, rule of David. And uh, they set up their own dynasty with uh, Jeroboam. And so that, uh, hopefully that helps and uh, puts uh, some, some of uh, the geography in, in your mind. But, uh, so what we notice then is that the, in the, in the uh, southern uh, kingdom, the line of David continues. Rehoboam uh, practices idolatry, um, and yet uh, uh, we see that uh, his sons uh, begin uh, to reign. We have uh, after Rehoboam and the division of the uh, kingdom, you have um, Ahijah, and you have Asa, and uh, so... Then in the, in the northern kingdom, Jeroboam's dynasty uh, is committed to a practice of idolatry. And so uh, we come then tonight to uh, the passage that is ours where we've been looking at the, um, the southern kingdom and uh, King Abijam and uh, King Asa and uh, last time, and then tonight we come to return again to the kings of the north, Nadab, uh, who reigns just very briefly, and Basha. And it's Nadab and Basha in the northern kingdom that we want to deal with tonight. And so uh, hear the word of God as it comes to us in 1 Kings chapter 15, beginning at verse 25. Nadab, the son of Jeroboam, began to reign over Israel in the second year of Asa, king of Judah. And he reigned over Israel two years. 
And he did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, and he walked in the way of his father, and in his sin, and he made Israel to sin. Basha, the son of Ahijah, of the house of Issachar, conspired against him, and Basha struck him down at Gibbethon, which belonged to the Philistines, for Nadab and all Israel were laying siege to Gibbethon. So Basha killed him in the third year of Asa, king of Judah, and reigned in his place. As soon as he was king, he killed all the house of Jeroboam, and he left to the house of Jeroboam, not one that breathed, until he had destroyed it according to the word of the Lord, that he spoke by his servant Ahijah the Shilonite. It was for the sins of Jeroboam that he sinned, and that he made Israel to sin, and became, and because of the anger to which uh, he provoked the Lord, the God of Israel. Now the rest of the acts of Nadab and all that he did, are they not written in the book of the Chronicles of the kings of Israel? And there was war between Asa and Basha, king of Israel, all their days. And in the third year of Asa, king of Judah, Basha, the son of Ahijah, began to reign over all Israel in Tirzah. And he reigned 24 years, and he did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, and he walked in the way of Jeroboam, and in his sin, which he had made Israel to sin. And the word of the Lord came to Jehu, the son of Hanani, against Basha, saying, Since I exalted you out of the dust and made you leader over my people Israel, you have walked in the way of Jeroboam and have made my people Israel to sin, provoking me to anger with their sins. Behold, I will utterly sweep away Basha and his house, and I will make your house like the house of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat. Anyone belonging to Basha who dies in the city, the dog shall eat, and every one of his who dies in the field, the birds of the heavens shall eat. Now the rest of the acts of Basha and what he did and his might, are they not written in the book of Chronicles of the kings of Israel? And Basha slept with his fathers, and he was buried at Tirzah, and Elah, his son, reigned in his place. Moreover, the word of the Lord came to, by the prophet Jehu, the son of Hanani, against Basha and his house, both because the evil that he did in the sight of the Lord, provoking him to anger with the work of his hands, in being like the house of Jeroboam, and also because he destroyed it. So ends the reading of God's word. Let's pray. We come to you again, O Lord, our God. Realizing again, as we approach you and hear your word, that it is only as you give us understanding that it is uh, used in our hearts to give us the knowledge of yourself and to draw us evermore into a loving relationship of covenant of faithfulness to you. And we ask, Lord, that you would cause this word to do that. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. So one of the things that uh, we deal with all the time is, is the question about the evil acts of evil men. Events happen, and we wonder and sometimes ask, uh, 
Oh, that God would come down and uh, stop this. Uh, where is God in all of the evil deeds that are done by evil men in the world? And we see it even especially among those who are in positions of authority and uh, leadership in the nations of the world. We're reminded of a passage from Job in this respect where Job makes this statement. He, the Lord, takes away the understanding from the chiefs of the people of the earth, and he makes them wander in the trackless waste, and they grope in the dark without light, and he makes them stagger like a drunken man. As you read the history of the kings of the northern kingdom of Israel, you feel that one, what you have is a wearisome repetition, a wearisome repetition of evil, of idolatry, of assassinations and violence, and a, 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 a total disregard of the word of God that comes to them by the prophets that God nevertheless sends to them because Israel continues to be the covenant people of God. The Lord uh, is provoked to anger by their wickedness. Well, um, one of the things that, that I hope we can learn from this about the Lord is that the Lord accomplishes through wicked men what he has purposed in his secret judgments. The Lord accomplishes, even in the wicked acts of wicked men, what he has purposed, or to use Westminster language, what he has decreed before the foundation of the world. What God has decreed, he brings about his judgments, even using the acts of sinful men. This is a deep question that we wrestle with. Um, how is it that the Lord uh, accomplishes his purposes in the midst of those things that are done in the world that are so contrary to his will and so wickedly done? In the uh, Confession of Faith in chapter 13, we read, this statement, God from all eternity did by his most wise and holy counsel of his own will freely and unchangeably ordain whatsoever comes to pass. One thing that we recognize is that scripture teaches that there is not anything that is outside of God's ordination of God, the secret counsel of God's will, that in his most wise and holy counsel, he brings his purposes, infallibly brings them to pass. And in the Westminster Confession of Faith, on the chapter on divine providence, which is also such an important uh, statement that on this subject, the almighty power and unsearchable wisdom and infinite goodness of God so far manifest themselves in his providence that it extends itself even to the first fall and all other sins of angels and men, and that not by a bare permission, but such as hath joined with it 
a most wise and powerful bounding and otherwise ordering and governing of them to his most holy ends. I won't read the rest of it. But uh, God even includes the sins of angels and men, not merely by a matter of permitting it to happen, as though it, it's something that he has no business in, uh, but that he actually, uh, by his wise and powerful bounding and otherwise ordering and governing even the events uh, and the actions of wicked and sinful men. Now, uh, Proverbs chapter 21, 1, uh, says, The king's heart is a stream of water in the hands of the Lord. He turns it wherever he will. And so the events of the world that we live in are determined by the decisions and the, and the actions of men, and yet those decisions and actions are not outside of God's control. God turns, as a stream of water is, uh, he turns men to do whatever he wills for them to do. And John Calvin makes a statement about this. He says, this statement applies to all the human race, not just to kings, and carries as much weight as if he had said, whatever we conceive of in our minds is directed to his own end by God's secret inspiration. Now, does this surpass our understanding? It certainly does. It is something we can't possibly understand, and yet God is infinite in his uh, power, his wisdom, and all that he decrees, he is in no means frustrated by the evil acts of evil men. It is not that evil and wicked men desire to will, willingly obey God. They are usually acting out of their own motivations and for their own purposes, but God without interfering with their free uh, decision-making, but God bends and directs their evil action in such a way that they are his instruments, and he uses even the wicked deeds of men to execute his justice and judgments. And he turns their intentions so that they actually do what they and this is, a, this is something, if, if, if you stop and think about this, um, how in hell it will make the wicked froth at the mouth. They actually fulfill in their disobedience of God, they fulfill God's purposes for them. They do what God has decreed without God being the author of their evil. A good example of this is Psalm 2. Psalm 2. Uh, we read of the of the, of the kings of the earth gathering together and plotting against the Lord and his anointed. Well, what does the Lord do? He sits in the heaven and he laughs. He holds them in derision. And so uh, in God's secret counsel, he has determined to use even the plottings of men against him to triumph over them. And as we're going to see uh, a little bit later, this is wonderfully shown 
in the events leading up to the crucifixion of our Lord itself. That the, here we have actors, we have Judas betraying, we have, uh, we have the Sanhedrin uh, plotting against Jesus, we have Pilate and the Roman authorities, all of these actors acting according to their own uh, will and purpose to put Jesus to death. But what are they doing? In the very evil that they perpetuate, they are bringing about that which will be the means of God's triumph over Satan and over hell and the redemption of his people itself. And that is, it is an amazing thing to think about that God does this. Now, it may seem that I've kind of gone on on a theological point, and I haven't even gotten to the text. But what I want to show briefly in the time that we have, how this passage in Kings shows us uh, four things. First, God's counsel or decree is revealed through the prophet's word. First, God's counsel and decree is revealed through the prophet's word. Secondly, God's decree is executed. And the e- thirdly, the evil deeds of evil men bring about the execution of God's decree, though that is not their intent. And then fourthly, these men are held responsible for their evil deeds. So first of all, God's decree revealed through the prophet's word. Turn with me, if you would, to a passage that we didn't read as a part of our text. Chapter 14, verse 14. This is that, uh, remember the words of the prophet, uh, the prophet Ahijah, to whom Jeroboam sent his wife because of his sick son. And here, uh, Ahijah gives the mother of this sick child awful, what must have been to her ears, just awful words. Verse 10 uh, says in chapter 14, verse 10, Behold, I will bring harm upon uh, uh, the house of Jeroboam and will cut off from Jeroboam every male, both bond and free in Israel, and will burn up the house of Jeroboam. And we go, it goes on to talk about the means and the manner in which they will die. And then if we go down now to verse 14, Moreover, the Lord will raise up for himself a king over Israel who shall cut off the house of Jeroboam today and henceforth. And God will strike Israel as a reed is shaken in the water and root up Israel out of uh, this good land that he gave to their fathers and scatter them beyond the Euphrates because they have made their Asherim provoking the Lord to anger. And he will give Israel up because of the sins of Jeroboam, which he sinned and made Israel to sin. So here in uh, chapter 14, verse 14, we're told that God, through the prophet Ahijah, that God's uh, decree or God's counsel is revealed. I will raise up for 
the Lord will raise up for himself a king over Israel who shall cut off the house of Jeroboam today. So uh, here the word of God is, is revealed. And whenever God uh, reveals his word, uh, his, uh, his decree, his hidden counsel is made known. And here he makes that counsel known. Jeroboam, as a result of hearing this word, could have repented of his idolatry. He could have called out to God for mercy, but he did not. He continued in it. So there is this willful blindness. In spite of being told that this is what would happen to his sons, there is an obtuse blindness and a deadness in Jeroboam's heart to the word of God. He will not listen. He continues to go proceed, he proceeds in his uh, institution of an idolatrous uh, worship in the northern kingdom of Israel and in using uh, the priests that he had gathered. And so the decree is revealed in the word of the prophet. Secondly, we see God's decree is brought to pass. And we see this in chapter 15, beginning at verse 25. We're told about Nadab, Nadab, Jeroboam's son. Uh, he reigns over Israel uh, in, in the second year of Asa, king of Judah, and he reigned over Israel two years, and he continued the policy of his father. He was just like his father. He continued in the sin of uh, idolatry. He made Israel to sin. Uh, Son, uh, a son who is just like his father. And now in verse 27, we read of Basha, the son of Ahijah, of the house of Issachar. He conspired against him. Basha struck him down at Gibbethon, which belonged to the Philistines, for they were besieging Gibbethon. So Basha killed him. And here we're told that Basha killed him in the third year of Asa, king of Judah, and reigned in his place. And as soon as he was king, he killed all the house of Jeroboam. And he left to the house of Jeroboam, not one that breathed, until he destroyed it according, notice this, according to the word of the Lord that he spoke by his servant, Ahijah, the Shilonite. And it was for the sins of Jeroboam that he sinned that made Israel to sin because of the anger of the Lord uh, that he provoked. So Basha is a wicked man. He conspires against the king, Jeroboam's son, Nadab, and uh, he uh, assassinates him in cold blood, and he does what is evil before the Lord. And yet, Though he does this, and he continues, Basha, uh, though not one of Jeroboam's son, he continues to carry out Jeroboam's policies. His wickedness is mentioned in relationship to the worship of God, and that he continues the idolatry of Jeroboam. And yet, uh, Basha, a wicked man, is uh, told by a prophet that it is God who raised him up. God raised Basha up. Notice that in uh, the language of chapter 16, verse 2. 
Since I exalted you out of the dust and made you leader over my people Israel, and you have walked in the way of Jeroboam and have made my people Israel to sin. So the prophet here uh, reminds uh, Basha of the fact that it is God who raised him up to be king over Israel. Well, it doesn't seem that way, does it? It seems like Basha did that which was wrong. He assassinated the king of Israel. Basha did not recognize that God had raised him up, and thus he was filled with all kinds of ingratitude. And so it is with sinful mankind, and so it is with you and I. God has blessed you. God has done things in your life in which he has brought uh, uh, blessings upon you. Question that then we ask ourselves, do we respond with that heartfelt humility and gratitude that recognizes that the blessings that we have received come from his hand? Basha had none of that, had none of that. He didn't care. He was just fulfilling his own will. And yet, uh, so Jehu, the prophet, says to Basha, as you have carried on these things, as you have repeated the sins of Jeroboam, repeated the sins of, of Nadab, now you also will be punished. You also will have the same thing happen to you that uh, Jeroboam had, uh, that happened to Jeroboam. The same judgments that would come upon, that went upon Jeroboam would happen to Basha. So having seen that God's word has been fulfilled and his hidden purpose carried out even through the sinful act of Basha, you see, thirdly, even evil deeds of, uh, of men fulfill God's purposes. God uses, his, uses Basha's wicked act to execute his judgment on Jeroboam's son. And so God is at work in the actions of Basha in, in putting to death Jeroboam's son, fulfilling the prophecy of Ahijah, bringing about the fulfillment of what God has decreed. Even though he has no love for God and certainly is not doing anything out of obedience to God, and yet his evil deed fulfills God's purposes. We see this all throughout uh, the writings of, the, of, of First King, First Kings, uh, in Second Kings, that God is at work in these things. You remember that when King, uh, the division of the kingdom, we're told that King Rehoboam did not listen to the people who asked for him to lighten their load. We're told that it was a turn of affairs. The fact that he didn't listen was a turn of affairs brought about by the Lord that he might fulfill his word, which the Lord spoke to Ahijah. So all of these things indeed were done by the will of man, and yet although they were done by the will of man, they were done according to God's will. And so God purposes to bring about his judgments through even the sinful acts of evil men. The almighty power and unsearchable wisdom and infinite goodness of God manifest them and extend even uh, over the first fall and all other sins of angels and men. 
The Lord turns the hearts of men as he wills. Another example of this is from the prophet Isaiah, where in chapter 10 of Isaiah, verses 5 through 7, we read these words. You remember that Assyria, the nation of Assyria and the kingdom of Assyria was used to punish uh, to bring about the destruction of the northern kingdom of Israel. And here is what Isaiah says, the Lord says to Assyria, Woe to Assyria, the rod of my anger, the staff in their hands is my fury. Against a godless nation I sent him, and against the people of my wrath I command him to take spoil and to seize splendor, a plunder, and to tread them down like the mire of the streets. But he does not think so. He does not so intend. And his heart does not so think, but it is in his heart to destroy and to cut off nations, not a few. And when the Lord has finished all his work on Mount Zion, the prophet says, and on Jerusalem, he will punish the speech of the arrogant heart of the king of Assyria and the boastful look in his eyes. For he says, by the strength of my hand, I have done this. It is for men always, even when used by God to bring about his judgments, to acknowledge that they have been raised up by God for that purpose and to submit themselves to his rule. Of course, the supreme example of this is in the betrayal of the Lord Jesus Christ and his prosecution, his sentencing, and death. After Christ's ascension into heaven, uh, the church uh, was being persecuted. They gathered together to pray, and they used the words of Psalm 2, and they said, Why did the Gentiles rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves, and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and his anointed. For truly in this city there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do what? To do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. So it is that even the Lord used the wickedness of the Jewish people in putting Jesus to death and the wickedness of the Romans in participating in it to bring about what he had predestined to take place for the salvation of his people. And so that brings us finally to the final point, and that is that wicked men who do wicked things that fulfill God's secret judgments are still held accountable and judged for their evil deeds. Just because God overrides it and turns it and produces uh, the fulfillment of his will doesn't take away from their responsibility for their self-exaltation and their pride Basha's pride, Assyria's pride, all of the pride of Jeroboam. They are responsible for their sin. 
So we see then that uh, the Lord says this uh, to Basha. And it's a, a special note is made in chapter 16, verse 6 and following, that the prophet Jehu came and said these things because, both of, because of all of the evil that he did in the sight of the Lord, provoking him to anger with the work of his hands and being like the house of Jeroboam and also because he destroyed the house of Jeroboam the very thing that Scripture has just told us he did to fulfill the prophecy of the Lord's uh, of, of the prophet Ahijah, and so though uh, uh, though Basha is an instrument of God in bringing judgment upon uh, Jeroboam's sons, yet he is now held accountable to God and punished by God uh, because of his sin. Basha is a prideful man, and he acts out of pride, not out of love for God. Notice verse 6. He slept with his fathers and was buried in Tirzah, and Elah, his son, reigned in his place. And we have uh, that uh, destruction of Basha in the punishment that came upon him because of what he had done. So it is possible that you can be God's instrument in inflicting judgment, says uh, Ralph Davis on this, and also, in so doing, incur God's judgment. So it is uh, with Judas who betrayed Jesus. Jesus said, the Son of Man goes as it is written of him. But woe to the man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been better for that man if he had not been born. So on the one hand, the Son of Man goes as it is written of him. On the other hand, the one who is the instrument of his going, it would be better for that one not to be born. So God directed Judas's act to fulfill his word, to bring about the death of the Lord Jesus Christ on the cross. And yet Judas is responsible for that act. In the case of Judas, he was responsible for fulfilling the decree of God to betray the Lord. The responsibility attaches to his motive and his intention in doing it. So in conclusion, we can ask, go back to the original question. When we look at the world that we live in and we see the evils that are perpetuated, is God at all stymied by this? No, God uses the wickedness of wicked men to fulfill his own purposes. And if we are Christians, we can take great comfort in knowing that uh, in, even though judgments are brought about in the world, that God is fulfilling his purposes for that. When we hear the word of God, we need to ask ourselves this question. Have we learned true humility before God, the God who is infinite in power and wisdom and who can do such things? Have we learned from hearing the word of God? Have we heard it so that we cry to him for a new heart, new affections, and a new will?
do we show that humility and that repentance before him? Have we brought ourselves before the Lord, remembering that God has promised to bring about um, our salvation if we will trust in him? Are we helpless? We may be helpless in ourselves, but God is able to direct uh, even and to touch human hearts. He's able to touch our hearts And he is able to save those who call upon him. He's promised never to turn away anyone who calls on him in this way. I love these words from the prophet Jeremiah. For I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for welfare and not for evil. To give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me. And I will hear you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you. This is what the wicked kings of Israel did not do. And they were not humbled by the words of the prophets that came to them. They did not cry out to the Lord. They did not seek the Lord. May it be that we would do just that. Everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Let us pray. Eternal God, our Heavenly Father, uh, we are humbled and we realize that uh, as we hear the accounts of these kings of the northern kingdom of Israel, the wickedness and the idolatry that was there, and yet we see that you fulfilled your purposes even in bringing about judgments through them. We ask, Father, that you would grant to us such faith as we might know that even in those things that we cannot understand, that you are at work. Help us, O God, to humble ourselves before you, to call upon you, and to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. As a final hymn of response, let's sing together hymn number 244, A Mighty Fortress is Our God. Let's stand.